Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Well, hey, we're in week five of our series on culture shock, and um, I just want to say up front that um, if you've got questions as we've been going through this series, um, that you want to ask the last weekend of the series, we're just going to do a Q&A. Jennifer Roth and I are going to uh, take your questions. Uh, we'll, we'll take them live that day as well, as, or if you can email them to us ahead of time, that'll help as well. I told her that she'll take all the hard ones. I'll take the easy ones. Uh, but here, you can send your questions to cultureshock at samalliance.org. And also want to let you know that maybe even as we've, we've talked about some of these topics, it's surface things, maybe something in your past Remember something in your present right now. You just want to have a conversation with somebody. Uh, some names up on the screen. Their emails are in your uh, bulletin. If you want to just engage in a conversation with someone because you just really need to talk now, you want to wait to the end of a series, I want you to know that that is available uh, as well. And then I also want to say that um, as we start today, that this is uh, part two of uh, the topic, talking about sexuality, and we started that last week. So I just want to say, as if you're a parent and your kids are here with you, um, uh, you, you need to use judgment and wisdom. If you feel it's better that they, they not hear this, that uh, as we talk about sexuality, and specifically today talking about same-sex sexuality, um, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you think it's best that you slip out and go have a cup of coffee at Broadway Coffee House or do, do whatever. I just, I just want to just make sure that you're aware of that. And again, you're not going to hurt my feelings uh, if that's what you decide to do. Um, there are only two times when I've been preaching that I've actually gotten feedback before I ever gave the message. Uh, and, and it was one time was several years ago, and I was preaching on homosexuality, and, uh, and then the same is true this week. I've gotten emails and appointments and gotten input and, uh, and, and books, and, and that's great. Uh, I, I love to learn. I'm a pastor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm, I'm, I, I, I come at this... Um, as a pastor, so I, I, I love to learn on, on those things, and so um, I appreciate that input, and I just want to say up front, this is a, this is a topic that um, produces a lot of tension. This is a topic that, that emotions typically run pretty high. Uh, you, you're here, and, and, and you know, you, you, maybe somewhere down the road, someone in your family came out as, a, as, as gay or a part of the LGBTQ uh, community, and um, you just didn't know what to do, or... Or, or maybe uh, you're here and you just kind of have a strong disdain for folks who are in same-sex relationships. Or maybe you're here and you're in a same-sex relationship. Maybe you've already, the two of you already sh- you shook hands in our greeting time. You didn't even know it. Um, you know, m- m- there's a lot of, maybe, maybe you work in a community or maybe there's, there's folks around you um, that, uh, that are in same-sex relationships. There, there's, maybe you're here and you're afraid of what I'm going to say. Maybe you're here and you're afraid of what I'm not going to say. Or maybe you're here and you invited friends and you're afraid I'm going to offend them and I just want you to put, put you at ease. I've worked very hard to make sure I offend everybody so that we're all on the same level, okay? So you're going to get your shot. It may come early. It may come later. It's going to happen. And uh, so I, I, just, I just want to just say, friends, really, this is, this is a tense topic. Uh, and we all feel it. So, and I also I want you to know that I'm so grateful this, for this place, for St. Lawrence Church. I'm grateful we believe that Jesus Christ came full of truth and grace. That yes, he speaks truth, and sometimes, as Jeff has already led us, sometimes that truth is really hard to hear. But he's also compassionate, and he's kind, and he's merciful. He, he's, he's so good. 
And so it's just this wonderful person that he is, full of grace and truth. And, and so uh, even as I preach on this topic today, we're a people that come under the word. We, 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 we follow after him. He's our Lord. He's our master. So we align our lives with him. And we know that as we do our very best to do that, that he's so kind and patient with us as we follow after him. So I, I just want to just say all that up front before we even get into this talk so you have a little bit of my heart and a little bit of our heart of who we are as, as a church. And by the way, you may be here for the very first time. You're wondering what I just walk into. Uh, welcome to St. Lawrence Church. Uh, <laughs> now, th- there are some really good laws that we have in our land, really good laws we have in our country. Like, for, for instance, someone breaks into your house and they rob you, they burglarize your home. You know that there are penalties for, for breaking and entering, and you're glad that those, those penalties are uh, enacted when someone were, were to break into your house. You're grateful that if you're driving on the freeway and you see someone driving recklessly, that if there's a police officer, there's highway patrol, that they will pull someone over and there, there will be a ticket that will be issued for driving recklessly. There's a lot of laws that, that make sense to us. And yet at the same time, there are some laws that just seem a little bit odd, a little bit strange. For instance, Fairbanks, Alaska, there is a law that says it is illegal to give alcohol to a moose. Apparently not a lot of entertainment in Alaska, and that's something they do there. Or uh, Arkansas. In Arkansas, um, it is illegal in one part of Arkansas to blindfold a cow and put it near a highway. I would love to hear that story of how that, what happened and how that law came into being. Uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, it is illegal from your house to shoot at icicles with a firearm. My question is, are you shooting from inside out or are you shooting outside in? Uh, it's a pretty strange law. And, and if you ever go to Kentucky, here's, here's a law from Lexington, Kentucky. It is illegal in Lexington, Kentucky to put an ice cream cone in your pocket. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a law on the books. It, it, you're not allowed to do it. So in case you were thinking about it, you had a vacation plan this summer going to Kentucky, no ice cream cone in your pockets. Now, we're kind of poking fun at some of those laws, but, and, and we know laws, laws have been changing over the years, especially when it comes to this topic of sexuality. There have been shifts in some of the laws in our land. And when it comes to this topic of same-sex relationships, what many people are often wondering, they're wondering, is this, this what, the, what the Bible says about homosexuality and same-sex relationships, is that sort of like a, a, a law that's a, a relic from the past, is, is, is it a relic from the past? Is it kind of like an ice cream cone in your pocket? Is, is, that what, is that what we should view what the Bible says about homosexuality? Or is it a law that's relevant to today? Is it up there with breaking and entering and driving recklessly on, on, on the freeway? I mean, what, what is it? Is it a relic or is it relevant to today? And what I want to do in the, in, in the time I got with you uh, this, this, this morning, I want to kind of get at that and, and kind of understand from God's perspective, is, is this a relic or is this relevant? Is this an ice cream cone in my pocket or is this breaking and entering? What's God's heart for us when it comes to us expressing our sexuality? And before I even get into that, what I want to do before I even crack my Bible, I want to help us get a feel for the social landscape of our day. Week one, we talked about wisdom. And one of the ways that we express wisdom is to listen with the purpose to understand. So before we even get into what the Bible says, what we need to do is get at least a general understanding of uh, what I want to give us is two mindsets about 
same-sex relationships or two mindsets about, about life, uh, two, two mindsets um, that, that really are a large percentage of, uh, of our society. And the first word I want to give us that expresses it is this word authenticity. Authenticity, which is a, it's a very good word, um, there's a very large segment of our society today that, that authenticity is so crucial that there are these desires, there are these motivations, there are these aspirations that I've had as far back as I can remember. I feel them, I've had them, and, and to think and to act in any way that's incongruent with what I believe is true about who I am and even my attractions is to ask me to be someone that I'm not. And there's actually a sense where I feel disingenuous. Do I, I need to be true to myself? And there's a very large segment of our society in which is a, it's an extremely important word. Now, a guy named Michael Feely wrote a blog less than a year ago in the Huffington Post, and he was talking about this very, very thing. In his blog titled, How to Be You, he, he makes four statements about how to be authentic to yourself. What does this look like? And it'd be really important for us to understand this and hear this, because this represents a large segment of our society. Here's what Feely writes. He says, first of all, being true to yourself starts with knowing who you are and accepting yourself. The second thing he says is that being true to yourself is a personal, and he, he, he makes that word bold and uses larger font. Being true to yourself is a personal choice for truth, making choices about how you want to live. Third thing he says is being true to yourself means you don't worry about pleasing other people, living by someone else's standards or rules. And lastly, he says, uh, being true to yourself is this simple. Either you live in integrity or you live out of integrity. Either you live a life that's full of integrity or you live a life that's disingenuous. It's out, it's out of sync with who you really are. And there is a very large segment of our society that, that, that sees life this way. This is an internal alignment. Is this making sense? This is an internal calibration. I've had these feelings as long, as far back as I can remember. And when it comes to sexuality, I've had these attractions as far back as I can remember. In fact, I, I think that this is my identity. This is who I am. And, and some, some of you might you may hear from some that we're born this way. We're born this way. And, and you know what? I get that. Because as I think about my own life, and I think about, see, see I, I'm, in a, I'm in a heterosexual marriage, and I, I think back to, to my attractions as far back as I can remember. I've always been attracted to members of the opposite sex. So when someone says, I was born that way, sometimes people chafe at that. I think what they're really getting at is that from as far back as I can remember, my natural desires have always been in this direction. This is who I am. This is my identity. And I need to be true to myself. I need to be authentic. And asking me to, to live any other way feels disingenuous. That is a very large segment of our society today. It's very helpful for us to understand that. Now, the second word I want to I give you is, is this word. It's the word loyalty. This represents another large segment of our society. Th this is about internal alignment. I need to be authentic my internal alignment. Over here, loyalty represents a, a large section of people 
who through life, they, they did. They had these internal desires. They had these, these, appetite, these appetites, these motivations. But then someone told them about Jesus and how that we're, we're all broken and there's, there's all kinds of brokenness that's revealed in our lives and there's much that's not right about us. And that Jesus offers new life. Jesus offers forgiveness. He will remove our shame and our guilt. And, and people who, who understand this have realized they've, they've turned from a certain way of living and they've aligned their life externally. Instead of internal alignment, they actually believe that there's new life, there's new hope found in Christ, and now that life is marked by loyalty. It's, it's, it's loyalty to someone they call Lord, someone they call Master, someone they call Savior, and this represents a large section of our society. Do, do you remember the movie The Count of Monte Cristo? Count of Monte Cristo, there's this moment where Edmund Dante, he, he escapes from prison, he washed up on a beach, and he thinks he's free, and he runs into a band of pirates, and before long, he's, he has to engage in a knife fight with this, with this guy named Jacopo, and uh, one of them is going to die, and so they both got knives in their hands, and, and, uh, and, they're, and they're in this knife fight, and, and it comes to the point where the future Count of Monte Cristo actually pins Jacopo to the sand. He lifts his knife up, and here's the picture from the movie, and, and he's going to plunge. It looks like he's going to plunge the knife into Jacopo's heart. But what he does is he drops that knife down. Jacopo knows that he's been beat. He knows that his life is about to be over. But instead of the, the, the knife piercing his heart, the knife just drops into the sand. And Dante, he, he actually persuades the band of pirates to allow both of them to live because they'll both be useful to them. And when Jacopo realizes that his life has been spared, he responds. What he says in this, this moment, he grabs the, the future Count of Monte Cristo and says to him, I am your man forever. It's a statement of loyalty. Now, on this topic of sexuality, this is exactly where Paul goes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, he says these words. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. you got to hear what Paul is saying. What he's saying to God is, I'm your man. He, he, he's understanding his brokenness. And he's come to the point where he's understood that his life should have ended, that his, the knife should have plunged his heart, but his life was spared. And now, now out of loyalty, I'm your man forever. And, and there's a very large segment of our society that instead of calibrating or aligning internally, uh, there's this external alignment. And that's just real, very general speaking, this is sort of a picture of our social landscape today. Here, I got to be true to myself. It's, it's an internal alignment. And to, to do anything else feels like I'm violating authenticity. Over here is that I'm, I'm, I'm aligning externally. That I have a Lord. I have a master. Now, here, here's what I want to suggest. Imagine if I got a group of people who represent this mindset, and I got a group of people who represented this mindset, and I booked a room at Broadway Commons, and I put them all in the same room, and I began a dialogue. And I started the dialogue of the conversation this way. I would say, 
I want you to tell me what is wrong with the world. Just put it out there. I, want, I just want to tell me what's wrong with the world. And my guess is that people, this mindset would say, those people are what's wrong with the world. And then we'd, we'd have a conversation with these people. They, those people are what's, what's wrong with the world. And once we got over that in about a half hour, I actually think that we'd move past that and there'd be a lot of agreement about what is wrong with the world. I think that the conversation at some point in time will get to things like, you know what I think is wrong with the world? I think terrorism is wrong with the world. I think ISIS is, is one thing that I think is a major thing that's wrong with our world. I mean, the bombing last night in Baghdad, the, the, the lives taken in Bangladesh this last week, the bombing in Istanbul, the shootings in Orlando, that, that's wrong. That, that terrorism is something that is wrong with our world. And then I think we'd, we'd, we'd move past that. And if we spend enough time together, we talk about corruption. We talk about greed. And that's also something that's wrong with our world. I, th I think we'd even move past that. And we'd, we'd get to things like war. And we get to things like famines. And I think we get to things like diseases, like the Zika virus. I mean, we could, we could all kinds of things that around our table we could agree on. This is what's wrong with our world. And then we could take a field trip together and I'd mix up all these people on this side, and I'd mix up all these people on this side, and we'd go to Barnes & Noble, and i say, I want you to go to the self-help section, and I want you to pull a book off, bring it back, that represents an area in someone's life where they feel broken and they need help. And they will bring back books, books that represent areas of people's lives where they feel like they, that there's either chaos or there's confusion, or they simply just need help. They would bring back a book, perhaps on relationships. They would bring book, uh, a book back on physical health or diet. They'd bring a book on even on spirituality. And we could put all those books on the table. And, and the reason I'm stating that whole imaginary conversation is because I think people who have a loyalty mindset, and I think that people who have this authenticity mindset will agree with that, that there is something wrong in our world. In fact, what the Bible will say was, will, will agree with both groups. There indeed is something wrong with our world, but what the scriptures will say is all that stuff, terrorism, you know, diet issues, corruption, envy, all that stuff is symptomatic of a greater brokenness that goes way, way back. It's way, it goes way, way back. It's, it's, it's something that we have all done that has caused great brokenness in our world. All that's wrong with the world is represented by this one word that I'm about to speak to you. And you're not going to like this word. I'm just going to tell you, I don't like this word. But this word perfectly describes you and perfectly describes me. It describes us. And even as I say this word, you should pay attention to the emotion or, or what, what, what happens inside you. Maybe it's no big deal. Maybe, maybe you'll be offended. Here's your moment. You'll be offended. Here's the word that describes us. We are guilty of treason against God. The word is treason. We have committed treachery against God. And all the brokenness... All what's wrong with the world can be, can, you can just follow the crumbs all the way back to that moment. I, I want to show you this in, in Scripture. I wanna, Romans chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you'll find one that looks like this in the pew rack in front of you. 
And in honor of Fourth of July weekend, go to page 1776. <laughs> we plan these things out very carefully around here. We, we don't try. Someone's going, wow, these guys are really good. No, no, no. I opened my Bible last night. Huh, 1776. Page 1776, Romans 1, 18, uh, verse 18. Uh, if, if you're new to navigating the Bible, you find that page, two columns, the right-hand column. Kind of go down, you see a bunch of little numbers. Those are the verse numbers. The large numbers are the chapter numbers. Uh, chapter 1, verse 18, God describes our treachery. Listen to what he says. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who was worthy of eternal praise. Amen. I'm going to hit the pause button right there. You know the name Edward Snowden. Snowden, who, who stole top secret ideas from the U.S. government and went public with them. He, he ran for his life. Why did he run for his life? Because from the U.S. government's vantage point, he committed treason. And anyone who, who commits acts of, of treason, the punishment is at the highest levels. Justice is served at the most highest levels. So Snowden is, is, is hiding. He's taking asylum in Russia because he knows that treachery, treason is a big deal. And, and you could take Snowden's name or you could, if you paid attention in history class, you know who Marcus Junius Brutus is. He's the one who, who helped assassinate Julius Caesar. You, you, could, you could think of someone like Judas Iscariot who, bet, who betrayed Christ or Benedict Arnold. You could take Brutus's name, Judas Iscariot's name. You, you could take Benedict Arnold's name. You could take Edward Snowden's name. And you could take your name and you could take my name and just add it to the list. Because what Paul is saying here is that we are guilty of treason and specifically treason against God. This is God's holy word. Have a nice week. <laughs> it's, but this is, this is so confrontational. What, what, what do you mean, Paul? What, how have I committed treason? Well, he gives us three specific ways that we've committed treason. We've, we've chosen to worship the created rather than the creator. The street-level language to describe what Paul is saying is this. We don't want God, but we want his stuff. What we said to God is, God, forget you, but we will take your stuff. We will take creation, but we don't want anything to do with you. It's an act of treason. The second thing that Paul says is that we traded the truth about God for a lie. Meaning what we have done, we have said to God, God, we know better. God, we've been around, you've been, society's been around for a while. We've progressed. We've moved along. There's some things that you've been saying. We just don't think they're relevant anymore. And so what we're saying right now, guys, we know better than you. 
We traded the truth about God for a lie. And the third thing that we have done is that instead of acknowledging him, we've, we've exalted self, or in street-level language, put it this way. We take credit instead of giving credit to God. Instead of God being honored, we gather honor. And oftentimes this, this looks... And Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot three, right? Did he in his mother's womb say, you know, if I work really hard in here, I can be seven foot three and I can be an NBA basketball player? No, he, he, he didn't. God-given talent and, and size and a great basketball player. And, and you know, he, he dunks and he runs down the court and, and, and does a pirouette and he's so excited, raises his hand and everyone's cheering for him. And, and he's, he's taking credit for God-given gifts and talents. And we want to say to him, just make a free throw and we'll clap for you. Right? But, but the reality is, is many of the things that God's gifted, many of the talents and gifts and passions that he's given to us, what we do is we take credit for him instead of giving honor to him. And God says, this is treason. It's treachery. And then, as treachery is, is tre- people who commit treason are faced with the highest, the stiffest punishment we, you know, we don't get that punishment right away, but what God does is he, we get to experience the passive wrath of God. And Paul, what Paul is going to do is he is going to explain what that looks like. This is what's wrong with the world. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. This is what the passive wrath of God looks like. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, Envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. And I just insert right there, all the things that are wrong with the world. And he continues, they are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they, dis- they disobey uh, their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises. They're heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Why do they deserve to die? Because it's treason. Yet, they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Here's what's wrong with the world. We've committed treason against God. And oftentimes what happens is we, we take this topic of same-sex sexuality and we say, see, this is the worst of the worst. This is, this is the bottom. This is when society has really gotten bad, this is what it looks like. Paul is not saying that. What Paul is saying is that that's something among many things that... that, that that society looks like when we're incurring the passive wrath of God. It looks like envy. It looks like greed. It looks like pride. It looks like arrogance. It looks like insolence. It looks like being heartless. It, it looks like, like murder. It looks like children not obeying their parents. So it makes you go, what? Well, how did that get in here? I didn't make my bed, and I'm, I'm in this list of the passive wrath of God? <laughs> what, what, what's that about? What he's getting at is the heart. It's rebellion. That's what he's getting at. And all that is wrong with the world is a result of our rebellion, our treason. And he even goes farther. 
You see, there are those who look at the sins of others and they like to point them out and they want it. They, you know, God's going to punish and God's going to condemn and they, and they call it out. If you remember, in the shootings in Orlando, there were some, some, some voices, that, and these voices always get the press, these voices, one particular pastor who said that, it, that the, one of the best things that happened in Orlando was the fact that there were close to 50 people, 50 pedophiles who were pulled off the street. A brutal heartless statement made after an act of terrorism. And Paul would speak to that in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. He just continues, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. It's a level playing field. Every human being has committed treason against God. And all that's wrong in the world, it doesn't matter what mindset you have, all that's wrong in the, in the world is the result of saying to God, we don't want you, but we want your stuff. We know better and we'll take credit. And we're experiencing God letting us endure the passive wrath. Now, let's go back to this topic. Steve, is same-sex sexuality, is that a relic from the past? Or is that relevant? Is, do we know better now? Is this the ice cream cone in my pocket? Or is this breaking and entering? And I, I think you can get the feel from what I'm reading here, that, that actually th this, this is a pretty big deal to God. It's not the only deal to God, but it's a big deal to him. So what's our response? It's Salem. It's, now it's July 2016. How do we live? How are, we supposed, how are we supposed to respond to God's heart? If we are people who align ourselves, we come under the word, What's our response? And I'm just going to pick up where I left off last week and start with this one. We need to run from sexual sin. This is, this is a big deal to God. We need to run from sexual sin. And it's not just about same-sex relationships. It's all the distortions of sex. Now, you go back, and when Adam was experiencing aloneness in the garden, and Adam wanted his, he needed companionship, God's solution for Adam's aloneness is Eve. And there's a reason for that, because Adam is made in the image of God. Eve is made in the image of God. you got to understand this. Man made in the image of God. Woman made in the image of God. And when they experience physical oneness, when the, remember, physical oneness is the, is the culmination of whole life oneness. When Adam and Eve have sex, it is not just union. It is a reunion. It is the image of God as represented by Adam, the image of God as represented by Eve, and when these two opposite genders come together, it is not just union, it is a reunion. It's a beautiful picture of what God is trying to get us to understand of relational intimacy that's represented in the Godhead. And you'll see it, a consistent sexual code from Genesis all the way to Revelation. In fact, in Revelation, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is that? It's reunion. It's, it's all the saints. It's, it's, it's everyone with Christ. And 
And this physical oneness is a beautiful picture of that. And you will never find in the scriptures any positive pictures of a same-sex union. It just isn't there. There's this consistent sexual code. There's this beautiful metaphor that's, that's presented in, in sexual oneness. And it's a picture of, of people of an opposite sex coming together. So when we talk about running from sexual sin, here's what we're saying. Any kind of sexual activity outside of a marriage with a male and a female, that this, that this is something we should not be engaged in. So I'll just pick it up from last week. If you are here and you are married and you're having, you're having sex with someone who is not your spouse, you need to run. You don't just need to resist. You don't just need to fight it. You need to book it. You need to run. And if you're sexually active with someone you're not married to, you need to run. If you're engaged in porn or you're going to strip clubs, you need to run. And on this topic, what God is saying is that if you're engaged in same-sex sex, if you're engaged in same-sex relationships in that way, you also need to run. You also need to book it. And I just want to say to you, I don't want you ever coming to St. Alliance Church and walking out of here and saying, that guy never told us. And I'm just, this is exactly what it says. And we can work hard and we can say we know better or that's the ice cream cone in the pocket. But friends, it's, it's what God's word reveals. And the opportunity before us is either to keep walking in what we believe is true and find our identity in our own desires or find our identity in him. That's the invitation. So we need to run from our sexual sin. The second thing is this. We need to talk to somebody. Remember, it's not just running from, it's running to. See, this whole treason thing, the invitation there is we, once we understand we're guilty, we're invited to run from that way of living and we're invited to run to the cross. And at the cross is where Jesus Christ, who was sent by the Father, paid the penalty for every single person who has, who has committed treason. He paid the stiff punishment that we all deserved at the cross. So it isn't just a running from, it's a running to. But practically speaking, there are some of you in the room, you've been struggling with, with same-sex attraction or maybe you're struggling with lust or you're, you're engaged in a relationship you shouldn't be engaged in and you need to talk to someone. The condemning voice the guilting voice, the shaming voice, is you're, you're hiding. It's, what, it's keeping you from hiding it. Or it, it keeps you hiding it. And it, it's, it's, it's just tearing you apart inside. And God's invitation is that if we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed. And I, I just want to say, maybe an important next step for you is just to say, I need to talk to someone. And what you need to know is that what you will experience, this has been my experience here, you will experience compassion, you will experience mercy, you will experience kindness. Because we are a people who every one of us know our brokenness oh too well. We don't want to be Romans chapter 2. We, we know. We know our own fallenness. So we extend mercy to each other and yet still call us to walk in the way of Jesus. Some of you need to take that step. Third thing I say to us is, is the last thing. We need to learn how to differentiate between acceptance and approval. Let me explain this. See, here's how culture has discipled us. 
unless I agree 100% with those people, unless I can check every box that we're in full agreement, then I, then I can do life with them. But if they, if they think differently on a topic, if they think differently on this topic, then we can't have relationship because we're hating one another. It is a failure to differentiate between acceptance and approval. It's, it's a failure to understand that, that I can still love someone. I can still have, have relationship. I can have friendship with people who do not think like me. And, and the master of that was Jesus. Jesus was the master of being able to step into some very messy situations, and he didn't link acceptance to approval. In fact, he, ha- he would hang out with people whose lives he did not approve of. And he did that purposefully. He did that because he saw himself as the great physician. And he was said, it's the sick who need a doctor. And so I want to be close to people. I want to love on them. I want them to experience my love in such a way that it transforms their heart. And by the way, when their heart's transformed, their behavior, their life is transformed. And so what would happen is that Jesus would hang out with tax collectors, with whores. He would hang out with, with thieves. He would hang out with the untouchables, the lepers. And he would spend time with them. Do you know who this bugged? Do you know who could not differentiate between acceptance and approval? The Pharisees. Because what they believed is I cannot hang around them because if I hang around those people, then then that will send the message that I am condoning how they live. And friends, Jesus had this ability where he could accept someone and still not approve of how they were living their life. Case in point, woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees bring this up. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Moses' law says she must be put to death. Stiff punishment. Jesus, what say you? Jesus says, he who has not sinned, throw the first stone. Thud, 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 thud. Everyone walks away. Jesus says to the woman, woman, where, where are your accusers? And she looks up and she says, they're all gone. Listen to what Jesus says next. We, we got to get this. What Jesus says next is, neither do I condemn you. I'm not throwing any stones. Well, Jesus, are you saying that adultery is okay? You haven't sinned. You have every right to throw a stone. No, he's, he's, not, he's not approving of adultery. He's just loving on someone. And then he says, go and sin no more. He accepts her. She receives radical Jesus-like love. And at the same time, here's, don't, don't keep living like that. He would do this over and over and over again. And the Pharisees, over and over and over again, would distance themselves out of self-righteousness, out of thinking they didn't need a Savior, out of thinking that their, their lives were much better than other people's lives. Yet Jesus drew near. He differentiated between acceptance and approval. And let me just say this on this topic of same-sex sexuality. Many of us have not gone to events. We have not gone to celebrations. And I know each and every one of them, there's so many things going on, and you've, and you've got to kind of think it through very wisely But oftentimes we break relationship because I can't go there because that means I condone. And that is a failure to differentiate between acceptance and approval. What our world is starving for is Jesus-like love. For someone to step in and say, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to love on you. 
And should I have the right in this friendship and in this relationship? Maybe we'll talk about whether this is an ice cream cone in your pocket or if this is breaking and entering. But that's not the starting point of the friendship. I just want you to receive the love of Christ as I have. But when we don't differentiate, what we do is the very thing the Pharisees did. Now, friends, I know that every circumstance is so unique and you need wisdom and you counsel on each and every one of those. But Jesus was the master of going right to the mess and the masses and imaging his love. And our world is dying to experience that kind of acceptance, that kind of love. Now, I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to put these verses on the screen. I put these verses on the screen last week. It's just a call for us. I want to read them for us. Paul, writing to the same church that he wrote Romans chapter 1 to. These were people who committed treachery, but now they understood that their treason can be forgiven. And they've said to Christ, I'm your man forever. I'm your woman forever. And Paul writes and says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to invite us to bow our heads, close our eyes, and again have a conversation with Jesus. He's here. His spirit is here. He's already been speaking. But maybe you could just begin this, this dialogue, this conversation with him by saying, Jesus, what are you saying to me? Maybe it's the name of a broken relationship. Maybe there's some reconciliation. Again, maybe it's affirmation. Jesus, what are, you, what are you saying to us today? Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance. 